Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 188. Today's big Bible question, why did God require the Israelite warriors be circumcised right before battle? Well, happy Saturday to you, friends. Today will be the day, the day that we set the all-time Bible Reading Podcast record for most chapters read in a day. So get ready to celebrate. We are reading Joshua 5 and 6, Psalms 132, 133, 134, Isaiah 65, and Matthew 13 for a grand total of seven chapters of the Bible. Now, I need to let you know that Robert Murray McShane, the author of our Bible reading plan, only had us down for five verses in Joshua 6 today. So we were actually just going to read a little over six chapters. But I said, no way, Bobby. We're going to read both of those chapters today and take a small sort of break tomorrow from, you know, reading seven chapters. So what are we doing engaging all of this idle chatter? Let's cut right to our main topic. (laughs) Get it? Cut? Today we are talking about circumcision. Everybody knows what that means, right? No? You don't? Okay, let's Google the definition. Googling circumcision brings up this helpful little definition description at number one. Circumcision is the action or practice of circumcising a young boy or man. Okay, now that you know what it means, let's keep... Oh, I'm sorry? You still don't know? My bad, I'm sorry. Here's another definition. Circumcision is the act of circumcising, especially the cutting off of the foreskin of males that is practiced as a religious rite by Jews. Now, I only found one definition there that didn't use the P word, and I went with that wooden, so I wouldn't giggle when I read it. So circumcision is a most delicate surgery that is usually done to babies shortly after they are born. I'm sure it hurts them and doesn't feel great, but as they aren't walking around very much at less than a month old, perhaps it is easier for them to recover from it. Circumcision in an adult male, however is a far more difficult thing. Well, at least I assume it is. I've never had that experience, thank the Lord. Circumcision in an adult male without any sort of anesthetic to kill the pain is an even more difficult thing. Circumcision in an adult male without any sort of anesthetic or antibiotics to help with recovery afterwards just keeps getting more and more difficult. And circumcision in an adult male using a knife made out of a rock like flint and without any sort of anesthetic or antibiotics just sounds pretty doggone and agonizing. I'm kind of clenched up just thinking about it. Now, imagine that situation right before the biggest battle in Israel's history up until that point. Who would command such a thing? Imagine my beloved Alabama Crimson Tide getting the whole team this surgery during Iron Bowl week. I would cry because, of course, they're going to get pounded after something like that. But God did this. Actually, God did something even more outrageous than this in Joshua chapter 5. So get ready to grit your teeth a little bit, especially if you're a dude. And let's read Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives, flint is a rock, and circumcise the Israelite men again. 
So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gibeath Haraloth. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war had, who were males, all the men of war who had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness forty years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised up their sons in their place. It was these sons Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is still called Gilgal today. Gilgal sounds like the word that means to roll. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after that, they ate from the produce of the land. The manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did that. Chapter 6. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven ram's horns in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven ram's horns before the Lord moved forward and blew the ram's horns, the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went in front of the priests who blew the ram's horns, and the rear guard went behind the ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests took the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying Seven ram's horns marched in front of the Ark of the Lord. While the ram's horns were blowing, the armed men went in front of them, and the rear guard went behind the Ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. 
Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priests blew the ram's horns, and Joshua said the troops, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in the house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of these things, you will be set apart. You will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted and the ram's horn sounded. When they heard the blast of the ram's horn, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with a sword. Man, woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there, and all who are with her, just as you swore to her. So the young man who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasure, treasury of the Lord's house. However, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her, because she hid the messengers Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho, and she still lives in Israel today. At that time, Joshua imposed this curse. The man who undertakes the rebuilding of this city, Jericho, is cursed before the Lord. He will lay its foundation at the cost of his firstborn. He will finish its gates at the cost of his youngest. And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. So can you maybe imagine the reaction that the Israelite army, the men, might have had after Joshua sat them down and said, Guys, I've got an announcement for you. God is commanding you to be circumcised. He wants us to do what? God wants us to cut off what? I, I imagine this sort of thing wasn't a huge morale booster. So why in the world would God want to do such a thing on the eve of this tremendous battle against the nation of Jericho? It's the most counterintuitive thing I've ever heard of. Sort of like shooting yourself in the foot before a race, only honestly much, much worse. I believe the answer is, quite simply, God does not want his people relying on their own power or strength, but on his power and strength. Now let's see some examples of that in scripture. For instance, this is a great little story in Second Chronicles 32. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs in the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard, repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria. 
and the vast army with them, for there is a greater power with us than with them. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king of Judah said. And indeed, Hezekiah was right. Those large numbers of weapons and shields didn't really come into handy because God defeated the Assyrians in his own way and in his own power. God was very clear with his people all throughout the Old Testament and to us as well. Our job is to cleave to him. And when we do that, when we cling to God, abiding in him, he will cause us to be victorious. That was the message to the Israelites all through this conquest. They're not going to conquer by their military strategy or by overwhelming force or advanced technology or whatever, but by his power. As God asked Job in Job 49, do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Well, the obvious answer is no. The most difficult thing I've ever had to learn in my life, and I genuinely think this is true, I can't think of anything more difficult, is that God's power is not perfected in my strength, but in my weakness. It is a lesson that I've learned so poorly that God seems to delight in teaching me again and again and again. God is not about the business of making his people people strong and mighty in and of themselves, but he is about the business of making our roots deep and strong in him so that he shines throughout our weakness. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. Paul says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong, says Paul. It's so hard for me to learn that lesson. I honestly just tell you with all my heart, I'd rather be the strong one, but there's no power in me to be the strong one. When I am weak, then I am strong. That is a hard lesson to learn, but it is a powerful one. Do you understand what happened that we just read in this passage? God sent torment into Paul's life to keep him from becoming prideful and to teach him to walk in human weakness so that he would therefore walk in the great power of God. We're always wanting to strengthen ourselves. God strengthen us. God build us up. And I suppose those are fine prayers, but we're not supposed to rely on ourselves, but on our heavenly father. This dynamic. I believe is why God called Joshua to circumcise those soldiers before a battle, because the battle wasn't theirs to win, but the Lord's to win. And how did they win the battle? With their sword fighting skills? No, with just walking around the city and trusting in God. May we do the same thing. Let me close with a powerful quote or powerful truth from Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. 
It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's a powerful, powerful truth. Praise God for that. Friends, may our roots be deep in the good soil of Christ, bearing fruit, not in our own power, but because we're rooted and grounded in Him. All right, let's keep reading. Psalm chapter 132. Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured and how he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard of the ark in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let's go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Rise up, Lord. Come to your resting place, you and your powerful ark. May your priests be clothed with righteousness and may your faithful people shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. I will set one of your offspring on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees that I will teach them, their sons will also sit on your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation and its faithful people will shout for joy. There I will make a horn grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown he wears will be glorious. Psalm 133. How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. Psalm 134, verse 1. Now bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand in the Lord's house at night. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Amen. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1. I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the path that is not good, following their own thoughts. These people continually anger me to my face, sacrificing in gardens, burning incense on bricks, sitting among the graves, spending nights in secret places, eating the meat of pigs and putting polluted broth in their bowls. They say, keep to yourself, don't come near me, for I am too holy for you. These practices are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. Look, it is written in front of me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will repay them fully. For your iniquities and the iniquities of your ancestors together, says the Lord, Because they burned incense on the mountains and reproached me on the hills, I will reward them fully for their former deeds. The Lord says this, As the new wine is found in a bunch of grapes, and one says, Don't destroy it, for there's some good in it. So I will act because of my servants and not destroy them all. I will produce descendants from Jacob and heirs to my mountains from Judah. My chosen ones will possess it, and my servants will dwell there. Sharon will be a pasture for flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. But you who abandon the Lord and forget my holy mountain, 
who prepare a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will kneel down to be slaughtered. Because I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear. You did what was evil in my sight and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Look, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Look, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Look, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Look, my servants will shout for joy from a glad heart, but you will cry out from an anguished heart, and you will lament out of a broken spirit. You will leave your name behind as a curse for my chosen ones, and the Lord God will kill you, but he will give his servants another name. Whoever asks for a blessing in the land will ask for a blessing by the God of truth, and whoever swears in the land will swear by the God of truth. For the former troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my sight. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat, for my people's lives will be Like the lifetime of a tree, my chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Matthew 13, verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. Still the other seed fell on good ground and produced fruits, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And then the disciples came up and asked him, Why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, because they do see, and your ears, because they do hear. 
For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path, and the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns. This is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground. This is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plant sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go out and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather from His kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw the worthless ones out. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They answered him, Yes. Therefore he said to them, 
Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasure, news, treasures new and old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Friends, may that not be said of us. May we be a people of great faith in the handiwork of the Lord. Amen and Godspeed to you.